Looking at the streaming landscape first, what types of things do you think that streaming services might need to do to differentiate themselves more and more, given that we've got things like price points that are essentially completely the same? Selena, I'm looking Selena, at you. I'm the first one. <laughs> OK, I'm going to open up. All right. Um, for us at Deezer, we have a few things that we feel differentiate us from, from our competitors. Um, especially in, in, on my side, you know, I'm, I'm on the front line of dealing with artists and, and labels and managers. Um, it's important to us to be artist friendly. And really, when, whenever we're thinking about working with artists, thinking about how we can genuinely play a meaningful part in developing artists' careers. So that's looking at supporting new and developing artists, but also looking at questioning the status quo of how things are at the moment. And one of the things that we're looking at at the moment and working on is user-centric payment. Um, some of you are, are probably aware that at the moment, streaming companies, all streaming companies pay uh, royalties to rights holders based on a black box system. So that's based on market share. And what user-centric payment is, which we feel is important and we're looking at uh, taking steps to transfer to, is with the cooperation of everyone else as well and rights holders, is simply paying a more transparent, fairer payment system. That means for the 10 euros a month that you pay for your subscription, if you choose to stream Metallica 100% of the time, your 10 euros will be going to that artist and not split according to a broader pot and market share. Um, and that's a much simpler, transparent way of paying artists. So that's one of the things that is a big priority for us. Um, and the other, the other thing that, that's a priority for us is really localization. So making sure that wherever you are in the world, these is in 180 countries, um, that you're seeing local content and artists that are relevant and not the same 50 global artists. For sure. Yeah. Um, I'm really glad that you brought up the user-centric licensing point because it does feel like a really important uh, development that's going to start to shift some of the segmentation with audiences as well. Um, at Boiler Room and at Media, we've started to see that audiences are responding much more strongly to ideas about artist payments and things like that being fair. I've got to say, though, when you guys announced it, it was kind of it didn't have maybe the waves that I was maybe expecting for something that's actually pretty yeah. significant in terms of what's actually a very controversial space. How much more are you going to sort of put that at the, at, the, at the heart of what you guys do in a public-facing sense? It's going to be increasingly so. I mean, the fact that I'm talking about it now, I mean, that's... Um, it involves a, a lot of stakeholders. You know, I, I wish it was just us that could make this decision and just switch it on, but it, it involves cooperation from the rights holders, um, and at the moment, we're talking to a lot of people, educating people about, um, you know, about what this means or what this might mean. Artists and managers get it immediately, and, and, and you know, label, labels too, when they, when they understand that it's this transparent, fairer system, which everyone has been calling for. Um, so, yeah, we're, it'll ramp up. Good, I look forward to it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Henrik, uh, before you were at EQT, you were at Spotify. Um, could you give us a little bit of an insight about differentiation from a Spotify perspective, maybe around things like data? Yeah. Um, I was actually part of building that black box that you were mentioning before. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, no, I was with Spotify from 2010 to, and, and during five years building the analytics team. And I think, uh, you know, after now having passed two and a half years since that point, now as an investor, I get to see, you know, take a little bit of distance. And I can agree that it's uh, really hard to differentiate sometimes what the difference is between these different services. And uh, for me, if we think about what the problem or what, or what these services are trying to solve, it's about finding a platform which helps artists who create amazing content to find its way to, the, to, to fans who want to listen to music. And I think whoever is going to uh, help out to, to um, enhance that the, or help facilitate that transaction happening is, is going to win. And I think we're so much not there yet. We're just in the beginning. beginning. To me, we just you know, digitalized the records from the past, put them into an app, and people can find them. But it's going to be much more around like, how, to, how can someone create the best platform where artists get help to find their, uh, their segments, to grow their fan base, to communicate with them. Uh, and also for, the, for that, then how, how, uh, will, um, how can the services create the best experience for consumers, so get to know them, what music to play, but also like, build better features for specific moments of, uh, of their life when they want to listen to music, which is not just typing in the name of a song or uh, things like that. Yeah. And do you... I mean, this, the, the landscape has evolved so much, and before the, the payments to artists seemed sort of like uh, sketchy at best, We've now moved into a stage where the global, UK, the global recorded music industry revenues are finally starting to grow at the rates that people had traditionally experienced. From that perspective, do you think consumers are looking at streaming services and thinking, oh yeah, this is all about the artists, or do you think they might be thinking that there are other power dynamics at play? <laughs> I think it's really a combination of everything. I think um, we're riding together this digital way where we're, we're finally putting music consumption back into the digital like, lives of consumers and artists, and that, I think, is what drives the whole positive development. Cool. It's still evolving. Henrik, uh, sorry, my debt. Um, from Spinning Records, you guys had a kind of um, a slightly different approach and had a huge amount of success with YouTube. Could you maybe talk us a little bit about that? Yeah, I think if you pan out a little bit, I think we're now, you know, if you look at all the streaming services, it's, we're now in a phase where it's kind of um, still a land grab for the, you know, the biggest market share, and everybody's trying to do you know, everything they can to get as much uh, users. And YouTube is, of course, is a different beast, because it's tradition. I'm not talking about the, um, the YouTube Music application that was launched this week, um, but I'm talking about the YouTube Classic, so to say. Um, and that was, that's always geared around you know, user-generated content. So, and if you're a rights holder, you can be really creative with what you're going to give to the community and what you get back. In, in the Spinning's case, there was a lot of subscribers. Um, so YouTube is, 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 a, is different in a way that it's really flexible. It also is one of the platforms that has the best you know, um, direct-to-consumer communication options, which obviously opens a lot of doors for marketing. Um, for, for companies like, you know, for labels or advertising agencies or whatever. So, yeah, that's, that's how, that's where YouTube fits in somehow. Nice. And, and also from a label perspective, I mean, obviously the things that streaming services did that's very different to how the industry ran before was the volume of data mm. that labels now have at their fingertips. Um, could you maybe talk, us, talk to us a little bit about the types of data points that you guys would get that you place most attention on and whether there's any variation between the main streaming services? 
Yeah, I mean, the amount of data you get back, you know, especially from, from, uh, from APIs of all the different platforms that kind of defines your playing field of, you know, what you can do. But it also defines what you can do with each and every platform. I know we all know Spotify has, has a great uh, API. You can do amazing stuff with that. I mean, you can remote control people's application. So you can do, I don't know, a worldwide flash mob release, like live, you, you can do all this kind of stuff. And obviously with Apple Music, that's not as easy. So yeah, the more data um, as a label you can get from one of the platforms, the more marketing you can do and the more successful you can be at a, uh, on a certain platform. And also the more users you can put into the whole platform. So that's nice. It. And Selena, from Deezer's perspective, what are the sort of key um, ways in which you guys are building out your data capabilities? Um, what are your sort of key, uh, the key areas that you think are sort of most important in this, in building artist careers? In, in using data, in, sorry? In do, using data, yeah. So, I mean, data's always in the middle of, of how we approach everything that we do. Um, and usually, Data is always referred to as this big nebulous thing. It's like all these numbers everywhere. But essentially, the hardest part of working with data is being able to form the right conclusions. Mm. And, and yes, when, when, you, when you are inundated with a lot of data, because we, we see quite a number of things, we, can, we, we look at how our users are listening. If you like to listen in your car while you're commuting, on your mobile, at home, through a hi-fi system, and really taking that and, and forming the, the, the right conclusions, or the right hypothesis, I should say, because nothing is really a conclusion. There are so many variables. So it's a combination of these things. I'm always, a, a lot of the arguments that are set up in music is this versus that. It's, it's, it's very dualistic, AI versus human creation. Now, mm. these two things really should work seamlessly. We use data to enhance our productivity, but also we look at things that happen outside. For example, when we're choosing artists that we work with on DZNX, which is how we work with new and developing artists, it's our development program. We look at everything that's happening outside of Deezer as well. We look at their touring schedule, the socials, the music, obviously, is, is the most important thing. So all of these things come into play. It's not an either-or situation. Um, you know, d data really enhances and gives you insights on what you're already doing. Nice. And I guess building on that point, the volume of data is extreme, and it's nice to hear the nuances with which you guys are treating that. Some people, from a sort of creator's perspective and maybe a label's perspective, have been talking a little bit about the fact that they're concerned that maybe an over-reliance on data, i.e. knowing what was successful on streaming services mm -hmm. previously, might be leading to sort of um, like a reduction in risk-taking in creativity. Is that something that mm -hmm. you guys think about from a label's point of view? Well, uh, yeah, yeah. As a label, I think you can think about that. I mean, it, if you have a lot of data, it can withhold you from taking certain risks. Um, especially if you look at you know, the, the, the biggest releases of spinning records of the last 10 years. Uh, you know, for instance, Animals by Martin Garrix. We didn't know it was going to be that big of a hit. And suppose you had like, all the data available, what would the data have said? You know, maybe it would have said, sorry, this track is too empty. This, this sounds weird, don't sign it. You know? So sometimes a leap of faith is, you know, is, is really important to, to get success. So maybe, maybe if you're getting too over-reliant on data, it can backfire. 
But um, as long as you use it as a smart tool, I think, I think it's really helpful. Nice. And what about, I mean, Spotify is the data, like, it's the data beast. You guys log, or your previous company logs, it's like 150 billion data points a day, I think, which is kind of bananas. Um, how central to the philosophy of what they wanted to put forward do you think data was at Spotify? Uh, sorry. How central do you think Spotify saw data as a part of their brand? Like, how key was it? I mean, it was, um, we were, I think we were very early uh, using data in, across the organization. We started in, I don't know, ever since the start, because we had great engineers that picked up on this big data trend very early. So we started to use data everywhere and kind of learned along the, with the rest of the world like how to have a, like a growth mentality, uh, how you can actually develop the product better while if you measure things, if you, you know, drive insights and if you experiment with A-B tests and things like that. Since we did that early on, we kind of, uh, that mindset really spread across the organization. And I think uh, that has uh, learned, or that learned the company, or teach the company a lot of things during that journey. And I think you can apply that for so many different things for artists as well. So if we started to do that internally, and now you, you provide the tools to let other, uh, other uh, labels and artists do that themselves. Like, how can you provide the tools to, to let them to do growth hacking, for example? And that mentality is, is uh, I think, spearheading. And I think um, everyone, or all these services should help others to do that. So there are clearly some like, super useful um, uh, applications of it from an artist's perspective in building artist careers with um, Spotify Next and, and Deezer's local program. Um, from, a, from a sort of like labels perspective in terms of building artists these days and whether or not labels are still relevant, you've got services like Platoon and these giant digital distributors that are sort of bypassing labels these days. How do you think in this streaming landscape labels can still make themselves relevant? What do they need to do? Well, I think you have to look at where, I mean, you have to redefine a label and, and really look at where a label adds value. So I think there's a few points where a label adds value. First of all, I think it's the music. You know, um, starting with A&R, for those who don't know it, the A&R manager is the person that selects or decides whether or not a track is signed. Now, that person is not only selecting, it's not only curating, it's actually helping the artist go back and forth with their track and adding value to the music. So that's a very important uh, um, added value from a label perspective. But with that, you also kind of, you kind of tell a story with kind of um, a, a standard of quality that you want to put out as a label. So you say, okay, these are the artists that we are supporting. You know, this is the sound that we are representing. And with that, it, you can create a really powerful brand that has added value to the artist's careers as well. So, and with that, you know, as a, I guess, as a, as a third point, it's the old economies of scale, so to say. So if you do a lot of releases, you get a lot of data back. So with that data, you can better promote the releases that comes, you know, the week afterwards. So with that, you get a lot of know-how, a lot of knowledge, and a lot of added value. But I think if you think about that and redefine a label, then I think labels should act more like an advertising or marketing company um, then maybe a label does now, you know, involving the whole supply chain and managing rights, etc. Sure, we're certainly moving into this sort of like hybrid stage where labels can mean many different things depending yep. on the types of deals that are arranged, etc. I've kind of got a question about finances now and labels because this is kind of like a really sticky issue and it's kind of going to be around probably for a lot longer. When you start to dig into how much money artists make on streaming services from their, their output these days, there are actually some pretty significant differences um, depending on whether artists go with major labels, independent labels, or they take kind of distributor routes. Mm. Um, from your guys' perspectives, like how 
how important do you think sort of public knowledge about these finances is going to be in, in, in people's perceptions about which type of services to use, which type of labels to go with? Do you think it's going to become sort of like a social, a social good aspect of these brands when people really start to understand how these finances work? Or do you think it's still going to remain relatively vague for most people? Um. I think it's, it's about, you know, the, it's, it's a choice that an artist makes. I mean, we're still, um, we're still in a phase where the artist makes his most, most of his money during with life uh, gigs. So if there's differences in, in money flowing, it's okay, do I choose, do I choose to go with, a, with an artist program or, for instance, a, 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 a streaming platform? Do I go with, a, with an independent label that does all this marketing for me or do I do it all by myself and, and go it through? I don't know, Cobalt or something, or a service like that. So yeah, it's, it's, that's, that's a choice, but so, if that answers your question. Yeah, no, that's good. <laughs> Did you guys have anything you wanted to add to that? Yeah, I mean, it's the, what streaming has done and, and just the advancement in technology and where we, where we are is it's, it's opened up a lot of choice. In the way that you choose to release something, you, you're not locked in to the traditional you know, I album, you go to radio six to eight weeks up front of a single. Um, so it's thrown up a lot of choice. And as has been mentioned before, I think the, the key really, as has always been the case, is that artists don't appear fully formed out of nowhere. There's a lot of development work that goes into, into an artist's career. And even when they're breaking or trending, you haven't seen all, all, the, all the groundwork that's been done before on the A&R side and et cetera, et cetera. So an artist needs a, a good team. Um, there are lots of choices for them now. Um, and they really should be working with a lot of people and, and educate themselves on, on what their deal is and, and, and what, their, what their plan is. And, and that's how to approach it. Nice. Um, we haven't got that much time left. There's a bunch of new technologies that are sort of like dipping in and out of this space. Things like AI-generated composition um, and voice-activated listening. Yeah. Um, looking at that spread, are there any things that really make you guys feel excited that the next wave of disruption is going to be really significant in how people consume music? Anything I, I can start with, uh, I mean, there are so many trends. And now, uh, being on the investor side, I have, I have uh, so much you know, insights and opportunities to meet teams that are building great things at the very early stage in, the, in, um, in this um, technology for music. And um, one of the most interesting trends is, I think, around AI and music. And that, for many people, might sound like science fiction, and it did to me, too, like a year ago. I didn't believe it. But, hearing how people are now with AI creating completely new music and also how they're creating like shape-shifting music. They take one track, they can shift the genre, the tempo, the, the style, everything. That's really amazing. And that, to me, is going to be really interesting to see how, how artists will embrace that as a tool for how they create music and how they can maybe create much more variations and reach out to new groups of, of consumers. So that's one trend. Nice. I think... Um, for us at the moment, you know, voice activation is something that's here now. It's something that's going to be more important as we, as we go along. And, and so we're looking at, well, how does that change the behavior in terms of how people listen to music? You know, for example, lyrics in the metadata are important now. You know, play me that song that goes like this. Um, so that's going to be an interesting space that, that that, that, that we're focused on and, and really 
how that's going to unfold is going to be interesting to see. I generally tend to not make grand um, proclamations about what's going to happen in five to ten years because tech... No, you did. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, but yeah, uh, voice activation, for me, that's, that, that's a key area. Yeah, I think, you know, AI is creeping into, you know, music production, plugins are getting smarter, you know, recommendations are getting better and better. But also voice is really interesting because everybody's... I like the angle that you, you, should, you shouldn't focus maybe less on the technology but more on the ignorance or stu well, relative stupidity of a human being and see how many, how many keywords or, or brands can a person remember when you have to find your music without any context. So I think the branding side, like I explained, you know, with why a label has value, is going to be really important because if you have a strong brand that's, you know, planted in somebody's head, somebody's more um, eager to say, okay, just play me spinning records music and then and there you go. Or maybe it will go that far that Alexa will immediately know what kind of music you want to hear because she knows you had a bad day. I don't know. We'll see. But it's interesting. Nice. It's going to be exciting to watch yeah. how it unfolds. Um, so yeah, let's Let's hope that in 10 years, because I believe that you were here 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I, was, <laughs> I was thinking yesterday that I was, when I started working at Spinning 10 years ago, I worked uh, at Spinning a month, I think, and it was a conference right here, and it was called Picnic, and it was kind of the same setting, not as cool, obviously. And, um, but we had the same conference, there, there was the same conversation, I was not in it, but there was the same conversation, and there was this guy who called himself a futurist, and he said, okay, labels are going to be done within two or three years. It's, you know, it's all DIY now, forget it, it's going to be over. And I was like, no, it's not going to be <coughs> over. And, um, and now we're here 10 years later, and the labels are doing better than ever, so let's, let's check in in 10 years. And see, yeah, 100%, we'll see I'm pretty sure Benji's going to have some... But they have to adapt, to they have to that. adapt, yeah. Nice. Thank you so much, guys. Yeah. Thank, Thank you for your you. time. Enjoy your afternoon. Thank you.